Welcome to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Skin care and plastic surgery are hot topics these days. Let Dr. Rubenstein answer your questions and explain what you'll want to look for in aesthetic products and cosmetic procedures. Get ready for a discussion about all things aesthetic. Now, live from Miami, Florida, American Board Certified Plastic Surgeon, Dr. Adam Rubenstein. Hi, welcome to New Reflections. We've got another episode, a new episode this week. The episode is called All the Way Down to Your Toes, Aesthetic Foot Procedures. And we're going to be speaking about all the aesthetic procedures to make your toes and your feet look better. You know, this is an increasingly popular topic. We're seeing more and more patients concerned with the appearance of their feet. And and there's been some controversy about having aesthetic procedures for your feet, uh, although it's it's continuing to get more and more popular as time goes on. There are right now in the United States about 7,000 board-certified podiatrists, and that number is growing. The more schools showing up, and it's actually a very young field. The first school of podiatry was founded in 1911, so it's really only been 100 years. You know, Within one or two generations of people that in the United States, we've been training uh, podiatrists and growing the field of foot surgery. Now, the thing is, this is a very old topic. The ancient Egyptians have carvings that date back to uh, 2400 B.C., it's over 2,000 years B.C., where foot surgery is depicted. And, in fact, we owe foot surgery the uh, invention of the scalpel. It seems that Hippocrates was the first person to uh, document the treatment of things like corns and calluses of the feet. In fact, he invented various instruments, and that's probably where the first scalpel came from. Now, the first society for uh, podiatrists, actually then it was called uh, chiropodists, uh, they, uh, that was founded in 1895, and then, of course, the first school in 1911 has come quite a long way since then. Over the last hundred years, there's been a great growth in the field of podiatry and foot surgery. In fact, the latest trend is dealing with the aesthetic concerns of feet. Now, podiatry was, of course, founded on the principles of, of caring for the function of the foot and improving the function and repairing injury. But at, in the end, in the final analysis, their work is always done with an eye towards restoring a more normal or attractive appearance of the foot. And it seemed to me that podiatry really is, in its heart, an aesthetic form of surgery uh, for the feet. And we'll talk about that a little later in the show. We're going to talk about all the different ways to get those tootsies in shape. And uh, I want to bring to the show our first guest. We have two guests today. Joining us today will be both Drs. Uh, Jason Morris and Dr. Vladimir Zitzer. Both are board-certified podiatrists, and we'll talk about the board certification for podiatrists. Of course, as we always talk about on New Reflections, board certification is important. And any doctor that you're looking into, any doctor you're considering using the services of, you really should be checking out whether or not they're properly board certified. And we'll talk about that later in the show as it relates to podiatry. But let's get started talking about how you can make those feet look better and be more confident about their appearance. I'm going to bring our first guest onto the show, uh, Dr. Jason Morris, a board certified podiatrist practicing in Atlanta, Georgia. Dr. Morris, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, we're glad to have you. And so, you know, this is really a pretty new profession. It really, uh, you know, the last hundred years or so is, is, has been the birth of podiatry and the growth of podiatry in the United States. But there's lots of work to be done. And, it, you know, I was talking about the aesthetics of it. The bread and butter, as I understand it, of podiatry, of foot surgery, is, you know, corns and hammer toes. And to me, those are things, of course, they, they create functional problems, but they also change the way things look. And so a lot of what you're doing is trying to restore a normal, attractive appearance, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, I think historically, uh, when we train in podiatry, we, we're always taught, you know, it's, it's function over fashion. Um, but I think as we continue to evolve as a profession and, uh, and, and we have a lot more professional females out there that are, that are more in tune with their feet and uh, they're wearing high heel shoes and their, their feet are exposed, um, they're they're more in tune with uh, you know the, uh, the hammer toes and bunion problems that we see. <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, we're uh, you know we're we're highly trained to 
to fix these problems and restore the function of the toes and uh, and, and actually help with the, uh, the appearance as well. So. Right. I mean, so so why shouldn't you guys be looking at trying to make things look good? And, and and we'll get into this a little bit later in the show, as I want to talk to you and our next guest about that. But let's begin just just for the audience to understand. You know, we throw these words around: bunions, corns, hammer toes. Let's let's talk about exactly what these things are. I'll start with corns. What is a corn? Basically, a corn is a lesion that that's typically on the top of the of the uh, the toe. It can involve any toe, and it's it's basically extra skin that builds up on top of a joint because of a joint contracture, meaning that the toe, instead of sitting flat, uh, is sitting uh, contracted. So we call those hammer toes um, because of the arch of the toe. And basically, when you wear shoes, the joint um, is rubbing the shoe, and the skin gets caught in between and, and develops you know, extra skin to protect itself. It's called a hyperkeratotic lesion, and that's, that's what a corn is. But Structurally, it's because of malformation of the the joint beneath. So okay, the, so so really, it sounds like the corn is is kind of like a, a callus on the top of the toe, and instead of right. a callus forming on the bottom of your feet where it rubs against whatever you're walking upon, the, this is because of the shape of your foot or the shape of your shoe. This is rubbing against the top of the shoe, and it's creating a callus on top instead of the bottom. Absolutely, that's exactly right. So it's, you know, a lot of people come to the office and they complain about, you know, the skin lesion that they have when in fact it's a, it's a bony prominence, uh, underneath, which, you know, it's actually the problem. So we address both when we repair these surgically, uh, and, uh, and patients are, you know, are very happy, but it's, um, and, and it can be quite painful. It's actually one of the most painful things that we treat, uh, and, and the problem with not addressing those as time goes on is, um, as we age and our circulation uh, becomes, you know, compromised, uh, these can ulcerate, and patients can be prone to staph infections and bone infections. So it's, you know, it, it's smart, you know, to come in, address these, and, and let us fix them before they can, you know, really become a problem. But uh, one of the most common things that we see in our type of practice. All right. Now, you know, we want, wherever we're going through the pharmacy or the supermarket, you always see these racks, you know, these Dr. Scholl racks of all the different home remedies, you know, treating yourself. And especially for corns, they always have these pads that you can put on. And I don't know if they're medicated with something or it's just a, a, a little soft padding to keep it from building up. What's the story with those? Well, I generally do not recommend those. Most of those items contain salicylic acid. Uh, which is an acid, um, and basically what happens is, is it creates a blister, and and these things peel off. The problem with that is uh, the blisters can lead lead to an alteration, which can lead to an infection. Patients typically don't know how long to leave it on, and the skin can macerate or become too moist underneath. So the, those items typically do not help very much. Um, the pad that comes with that does help to protect. Uh, the bony prominence from the shoe, but the uh, you know most of the pads today are medicated, and, and I'm not a big fan. I've seen a lot of problems with that, so I generally still uh, steer patients away from those things. And um, you know, but pads are okay. Medicated pads, not so much. Okay, all right. Well, that's, that's good advice. Maybe we should be thinking about wearing thicker socks or padding. You know, having shoes that are padded. You mentioned professional women. You know, women today. It, it's kind of the norm. It's expected they're, they're going to wear, in order to be fashionable at, at the workplace, they're generally wearing high-heeled shoes, which I think is putting a lot of pressure on the, their, their toes, and it really is creating a lot of these problems, and I don't think it's going to go away. And so I think you're right. The the aesthetics of the foot is a lot more important to a professional woman, and you're going to see more and more of that as time goes on. And, and speaking of the high heels, how is that? I understand that somehow that's that's leading because of the narrowness of the shoe leading to more hammer toe problems that's right well when you wear high heel shoes um you know since the foot is arched up and the and the forefoot the front part of the foot is arched down or declinated toward the ground uh it puts the foot in an abnormal position and the tendons on the bottom of the toes have to uh, overwork so to speak to stabilize the toes on the ground and that creates a buckling um, at the joint in the toes. So it's 
the, the flexor tendons are pulling a little bit too hard to stabilize the foot. That causes the toe to buckle, and that's what's creating the hammer tap. So the patients uh, that wear those types of shoes on a daily basis often complain of, you know, hammer toes, pain on the top of the toes with the associated lesions that we were discussing before, as well as pain in the ball of the foot on the bottom of the foot because of the excess load, you know, from the foot being in that declined position. So we're starting to see a lot of problems with that. Right, so how do, how do we treat hammer toes? That's not something that you can just throw a pad on to and hope it's going to get better. Right. Well, you know, typically when we put a pad on it, uh, it's going to crowd, it's going to further crowd the shoe. So we wind up with a patient compliance issue with that. So it's, it's actually hard to treat with pads. Uh, there, there are some pads that, that can help. One is called a toe crest, which is a, uh, it's almost like a roll of gauze, uh, more narrow in diameter that fits up underneath the toes to help to flatten them out in the shoe. Uh, and that's a, that's a helpful conservative treatment. Uh, as far as the corns are associated with hammer toes, we like to, to trim those down, debulk those so that the pressure isn't, uh, you know, causing a lot of pain, and that helps, too, and softening the skin certainly helps. Uh, and then, you know, of, of course, there are surgical considerations where we go in and we actually straighten the toe by removing a little bit of bone and repositioning the toe in a correct position. Uh, it's a fairly easy surgery to do, and patients tend to do real well with that. Hmm, that's interesting. I'm talking about changing the shape of toes. Let me take a moment. Let's uh, introduce our second guest, and we'll have him come into the discussion. I'd like to introduce Dr. Vladimir Zietzer. He's a board-certified podiatrist who practices in the Hollywood, California area, certainly an area much like Miami that's used to having feet exposed in sandals and open-toed shoes and heels. So a lot like uh, southern Florida, southern California has people that are real concerned with how this looks, uh, how this looks. and uh, Dr. Zietzer, I'm sure, you see plenty of it. Uh, thanks for calling, and welcome to New Reflections. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, you know, Southern California is definitely a hot spot for, um, you know, trendy, fashionable people. It's, uh, aesthetics is a major concern, and that's one of the primary things that people ask for when they come to my practice. You know, most people don't just come to address the deformity because they can get that done, you know, at any other um uh, surgeon in the area, they are specifically asking for an aesthetic uh, look to their feet, and they want it done in a way that uh, you know incisions are not visible and uh, minimally painful, and no hardware visible, and nothing sticking out of the toes. So that's that's one of the primary concerns of younger generation people in California, especially like power, you know, women who are executives, like um, Dr. Morris mentioned. You know, they wear high heels. It's a twenty billion dollar industry. It's not going to go away. And the shoes are getting more and more destructive to the feet, but that's not going to stop people from wearing them because it's really important. It's, a, it's an image thing. Sure. And, you know, look, fashion is always going to be more important to some people than their well-being. You know, uh, I don't think it's realistic to say, now let me ask it. Actually, here's an interesting question. Could we solve these problems if we can get people to stop wearing those type of shoes? If you wore wider shoes, would your feet do better? Um, I think that to some degree, yes. Uh, some of the deformities um, that people have are genetic, so no matter what type of shoes you wear, it's going to happen regardless. Uh, some of them are just wear and tear just from the you know, actual walking itself. So some things are uh, inev inevitable. It's going to happen no matter what, but some of the things are definitely caused by the shoes. But I think the, the problem is that it's totally unrealistic in, in today's day and age to expect... Um, you know, women to not wear the kind of shoes they want to wear. It's, it's, it's a topic that I don't even broach with a lot of my clients because I know I'm just wasting my breath. It's not going to happen. <laughs> well, and it's really, it's really not our business, right? I mean, do you have this similar experience, uh, Dr. Morris? I do. You know, one thing that we see uh, in our field is that a lot of patients, we, we have, you know, three different foot types, essentially, and, and a lot of patients are not sure what types of shoes they should be wearing for their individual foot type. So, so one thing that we see, you know, we have a, you know, extremely flat-footed patient trying to wear a high heel or, you know, trying to wear a, a shoe that has a rigid arch, um, and they, they come in complaining of foot pain, thinking that something's wrong with their foot, within, when in fact it's, it's their shoe. They're wearing the incorrect shoe. So I always encourage patients to, uh, you know, to try on shoes and make sure they're comfortable, and they're not sure, you know, ask their doctor if this is the correct shoe for their foot type. Uh, but I, I think shoes are, are a major problem. And, uh, and, and 
you know, it's, it's true. The patients today, they don't care if their feet hurt. They want their feet you know, and their shoes to look good. So, well, and uh, looking good is the whole reason that we're talking to you guys today. Is, you know, the, that's the whole idea. So they're, they're making the choice that they're putting a premium on the aesthetics and the appearance of their feet. And we've, we've just started the discussion talking about corns and hammer toes. When we get back, we'll talk about lots of other problems that we see and ways to make your feet look better. We're going to take a short commercial break. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion about aesthetic foot procedures and how to make your toes and your feet look as good as they possibly can. We'll be right back after these short words. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're here on New Reflections talking about aesthetic foot procedures. And we were just beginning our discussion. We spoke about corns and hammer toes. And on the subject of hammer toes, we started talking about changing the shape of toes. And, uh, you know, it seems that a lot of this is due to our selections of shoes. And uh, we're not going to be able to change that. So let's talk about ways that we can make things look better uh, if there is some kind of of deformity. So we're talking about hammer toes. And so hammer toes, as I understand it, as you just explained, is kind of a, a, a bend in the joint that doesn't straighten out in, in a toe, which makes the toe curved downward where the tip of the toe points downward and it creates pressure on top in the shoes and it creates pressure on the bottom of the tip of the toe. And so I'm sure that that's a, a fairly uncomfortable thing for folks that have them. So, is these the kind of deformities you're seeing when we're talking about hammer toes or, or bent or curved toes? Yes. I mean, that's basically the, the gist of it. And um, the way hammer toes work is if they first start, if it's early on in the process, they're fairly flexible. Um, you can actually bend the toe and straighten it with your hand. And if it's still a flexible deformity, you can kind of get away with some conservative treatments like the, the padding that Dr. Morse talked about. Um, you know, various other splints. Uh, you know, the problem is that a lot of that stuff is not practical. People don't want to wear it. It doesn't fit into shoes very well. Um, if it's still a relatively flexible deformity, you can even do something as minor as in the office of just making a tiny little poke in the bottom of the toe and just snipping the tendon on the bottom, the flexor tendon, and then the toe will just straighten out, and then a lot of the problems go away. As it becomes a little bit more rigid over time, if it's not addressed, then it turns into a bony problem, and then that's when a lot of the soft tissue and skin problems occur on the top, and that's when it becomes a rigid uh, deformity that hurts in the, in the shoes. So again, it seems like, you know, like most things, it's better to go get seen early on than, than late. I mean, Dr. Morris, is that your experience? Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, unfortunately, a lot of patients uh, wait, uh, especially guys. Uh, they will just wait until something is extremely painful, and, and, and like Dr. Zietzer said, 
progressive uh, deformity. So it starts out flexible, and as it becomes more rigid, it's a lot harder to treat, uh, or the the surgeries become quite more extensive. So, you know, it's it's definitely easier to try to treat it early on before it becomes a rigid deformity, and uh, the uh, the prognosis is certainly better. And I think uh, the the surgical outcomes are better, and the post-operative courses. Um, are, are much easier on the patients. Uh, when they become rigid, we have to use wires after we straighten the toe to hold them in place and let them heal in place, and they can be uncomfortable and uh, sometimes prone to uh, pin track infections. So I always encourage patients uh, to, you know, to seek uh, care early on if something's bothering them uh, before it gets to be you know, much more of a problem. Now, this idea of snipping tendons, you know, as a, as a plastic surgeon who's done a lot of hand surgery, that it's a it's just such a strange concept, and I imagine the average person, one of our one of our listeners listening, might be kind of shocked. I mean, you can just snip that tendon, cut it, and let the toe straighten up by itself. But the truth is, there there's a lot of redundancy in the anatomy of the foot, and and a lot of it is uh, when it comes to the the end of the toe is extra support that really you can live without. Right, cutting that tendon is not going to give them any long term problem, is it? Well, number one, you don't need the kind of uh you know, dexterity with your toes that you need with your hands. So snipping a tendon in the hands, I think, is, you know, totally out of the question except for extreme circumstances. But in the toes, generally you want your toes to be straight. If they're beginning to contract because the tendon has uh, basically overpowered the tendon on the top of the toe, there's really no other way to reduce the contracture uh, unless you're actually going to be doing bony uh, procedures on the toe. So the tendon on the bottom of the toe is not really... Uh, necessary for function, it actually, uh, after a certain point, begin, begins to become a problem. So it's it's totally within the norm to um, snip that tendon. We snip a lot of tendons in the foot for a variety of reasons because once they've kind of outlived their usefulness, you know, it's better to get rid of them because the problems that they create can be much worse than the actual uh, use of the tendon. Huh. And Dr. Morris, do you agree? Yeah, I agree. Typically, the, the flexor tendon underneath the last joint in the toe, um, when, when we release that tendon, it helps to straighten the toe immediately and uh, very, very seldom, if ever, compromises the structural integrity of the toe because there's a lot of other intrinsic musculature that attaches to the toe to help stabilize the toes in various planes. So um, it's a very, very easy procedure to do in the office under uh, just lidocaine, local anesthesia. Uh, it's painless, and it's very, very quick. So now, one thing, one thing you guys are, are bringing up, uh, I mean, uh, to cut you off there, but one thing you brought up and I want to make sure we talk about is men. You know, we've been talking a lot about women wearing high-heeled shoes, but certainly plenty of men have messed up feet and toes. And, I mean, is, is a portion of that related to the footwear they're choosing? Well, absolutely. Uh, when when you know when guys wear dress shoes every day, dress shoes are, are typically have a, a hard sole and they're stiff. So there's not a lot of room for uh, you know rigid deformity. So if a patient has a rigid hammer toe deformity and they wear shoes like that uh, every day, it's just a matter of time before they start to have pain associated with that. Um, so you know that's that's the reason we like to treat these a little bit earlier. We don't see much of a problem when when the toes are flexible because they can adapt. Uh, to the type of shirt you're wearing, but uh, certainly men have just as many problems with their toes as women, but they're just less likely to seek attention until something's really hurting. And, and Dr. Zietzer, do you agree with what you're seeing in your practice with men? I would say that that's probably about 80% correct. And most of the time, men um, only come when they have pain. Women are more likely to come for aesthetic reasons. But, you know, being in Southern California, people wear sandals a lot, people wear open shoes a lot, including men. And I do have men that come strictly for aesthetics as well, although it's definitely much more rare than women. Hmm. All right. And, you know, men's shoes doesn't seem like it's as big an issue because you're not propping the heel upward, not nearly as much. So I'm sure you don't have the same kind of forces that are distorting the foot, so less problems in male shoes. Yeah, that's, that's definitely true. All right, well, we're looking at... I'm sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, they don't, they don't wear different shoes every single day. I mean, we, we typically wear the same three or four pairs of shoes, whereas women can wear uh, a different shoe every day of the week for three weeks without repeating, you know? So, well, I yeah, I mean, that. you haven't met my wife, but she could go nearly a year. <laughs> <laughs> same here. 
All right. Well, and, 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 you know, look good doing it, but you're right. I think that it, there are lots of different forces women are placing their feet into that are creating potentially aesthetic problems down the line. Now, when we're talking about aesthetic problems and shape of the feet, we're just speaking about maybe having to straighten a toe. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the length of toes, and because that, that to me seems like it's purely an aesthetic thing. Is there a, is there a functional problem, Dr. Zietzer? You, you, I'm sure people come in all the time looking, for, they have one toe that's just oddly longer than all the others, say, you know, what can we do about that? I can't wear sandals, you know, I feel funny when I go to the beach. I want to try and shorten that, just get a nice cascade of the length of the toes and make it look more normal. But is there a functional aspect to that, or is it really purely an aesthetic choice? I think it's actually uh, a very significant amount of that deformity is function. Um, it definitely, is, aesthetically, it's a problem. It's most commonly with the second toe. And I do get a lot of patients who don't like the way it looks. They, they are very embarrassed to wear you know, sandals. They're very embarrassed to go barefoot ever. But what I tell people is that there's a deformity. It's not just an aesthetic problem. What happens is when the toe is excessively long, if it's longer than the big toe, over time, that toe is pushing into the tip of the shoe. It's the one that's getting the majority of the forces. So what happens is that toe begins to contract early on. They begin to get a contracture at the tip of the toe, so then they end up walking on the tip of the toe rather than the fatty pad on the bottom, and they begin to get calluses at the tip of the toe. They begin to get uh, nail damage. That's usually the toe that will get uh, nail fungus because it's getting the constant repetitive microtrauma in the shoe. And then over time, because of the length of the toe, as it contracts more and more, it puts what's known as retrograde pressure back uh, to the joint, uh, at kind of like the knuckle of the foot, and that pushes the second metatarsal downwards, causing calluses on the bottom of the foot. So then they end up getting pain on the bottom of the foot, and they have a deformed toe with a deformed nail and then a callus at the tip. So there's definitely functional issues as well, and there's pain issues that happen with time. So on a lot of these people... They come for aesthetics, but I explain to them this is a preventative procedure because you, you don't want to see what's going to happen to your toe if you wait a little bit longer. Huh. And Dr. Morris, you know, in Atlanta, you still have pretty warm weather a good portion of the year. Do you see as many people uh, that are as concerned about the appearance of their feet when bare? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a big issue for a lot of women. I, I even get teenage girls that will come in uh, from time to time with their parents and they'll They'll be complaining about, you know, their second toe being uh, grossly larger than or longer than, you know, the adjacent toes. And um, for that reason, they, they won't wear shoes that they want to wear. And, uh, and I do explain to them that as time goes on, because of the excessive length of the toe, that it can become a problem, as Dr. Zietzer discussed, uh, with calluses underneath the metatarsal, contracture of the toe, uh, damage to the nail, same sort of thing. And... Uh, so, you know, a lot of times we'll address that and, uh, uh, and make the patient happy. So you raise an interesting uh, question. Is there an age that it becomes appropriate to begin thinking about it? And is there an age that's too young to really start doing some of these procedures? Where do you guys draw the line, Dr. Morris? What's your minimum age? Well, I typically... Uh, I'll, I'll typically wait until the late teens, let, let the growth plates close, let everything shift and change as, as much as it's going to if they're going to have a problem early on, uh, and then we'll address it. Um, I, you know, same thing with bunions. I, it's an adaptive process as time goes on, and it, and it changes. So I usually tell patients, you know, a lot of times, just wait until it becomes more of a problem, uh, and then there's more of a reason to do surgery. But I usually will wait until the patient is at least 16 to 18 years old uh, and, and let things, you know, change enough for us to know what it's going to do, and then we'll repair it. Dr. Zietzer, what are your thoughts? So when it's something that is strictly for aesthetics, um, I definitely wait until their skeleton mature, so, in, you know, at least in the late teens. But sometimes there are deformities that are um, true deformities that are, I think, a little beyond that. Uh, for example, uh, breaking metatarsia, where it's a short, extremely short toe. Um, those... I typically fix, you know, in the younger ages simply because these patients get ridiculed at school. They just, you know, the, the psychosocial issues um, overwhelm them. And I've had patients that, you know, they cry. They're just, they, they cannot wear uh, anything open at school whatsoever. They're ridiculed by their friends. They're just basically afraid. 
And so on those kind of patients, you know, even 9, 10 years old, we'll fix the metatarsal, we'll lengthen it, we'll make the toe straight, and it just makes their life so much better. The only other group of patients where age is not as much of a factor is flat foot deformities. So when we're correcting flat foot deformities, we generally like to do it, you know, the younger the better. And so usually the earliest for that is about 7 years old. But wow. other than that, if it's purely just a cosmetic issue, I don't, I don't do it on children. Well, you know, we see very similar things in plastic surgery with noses and with ears, uh, people, you know, boys and girls coming in with uh, things that they, they just don't like about it. And kids can be cruel, so it's not surprising to me that, you know, even with oddly shortened toes or some other out-of-the-ordinary appearance that kids would be ridiculed and feel self-conscious about it. So we use a very similar uh, thought process when choosing to do procedures in younger uh, patients in plastic surgery as well. We're going to, again, take a very short break, and we'll come back. We'll be discussing, we talked about shortening a toe. We're going to talk about lengthening a toe and changing the shape. And we'll continue lots of other discussions about making your tootsies as tight and attractive as they can be. We'll be back after these short words here on New Reflections. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. If you need a coronary bypass procedure, you probably want someone you trust and not the biggest bargain in town. You might get more than you bargained for. This is your face and body we're talking about. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust, and you can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation in a multilingual office. That's 305-792-7575. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard and the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dr. Adam Rubenstein, and uh, I'm joined by Dr. Uh, Morris, Dr. Jason Morris, who's a board-certified podiatrist practicing in Atlanta, Georgia, and Dr. Vladimir Zietzer, board-certified podiatrist who is practicing in Southern California. Uh, we have been talking about all the different wonderful ways they have of making your toes and feet look better, and we were just discussing uh, shortening and lengthening, uh, lengthening the toes. So let's let's get into that that process, what is that like? Uh, Dr. Morris, a toe shortening, what's involved in that? Uh, basically, when someone presents with an excessively long toe, we, uh, you know, for addressing it surgically, we basically uh, transect the tendon. We're going to cut the tendon on the top of the toe uh, and go down to the bone where the joint is, and we're going to remove a, a small square uh, peg of bone uh, and and basically, we're going to take as much bone as we need to restore the correct parabola so that all of the toes are the correct length. So we, we basically, you know, take a measurement, and uh, that's how much bone we remove. And then we, uh, and we put everything back together. It's actually a very simple surgery called an arthroplasty. So, so you're talking, you're actually affecting the joint, or is it like taking one of the bones like a tree trunk and whacking a big piece out of it and putting the two ends together again? Uh, well, there, there are a couple of different ways to do it. Uh, with a general arthroplasty, we're, we're going, we're in, inside the joint and releasing the ligaments around the joint and removing the head of one of the phalangeal bones in there. So, uh, so it's like chopping the top of the tree off. That's right. So okay. we're, we're, uh, you know, we're removing a segment of bone there 
And uh, it doesn't really compromise the structural integrity of the bone at all. We, when we reconnect everything, they still have the same function. They can bend their toe up and down. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's pretty easy to do, and, and patients get over the surgery very, very quickly. So what's the typical recovery for your patients? Uh, the recovery, the stitches are in the toe for a couple of weeks, about 14 days. We, we take those out at that point. Uh, and at that point, I allow my patients, if they're not having any problems, to get back into a regular shoe. Um, during the first two weeks, I will have them in a little surgical shoe, which is a rigid shoe that does not bend so that the toe can heal in a straight position. Um, the, the only problem we see with that surgery is the swelling in the toe can go on for two to three months because the feet are in a dependent position all day. Every day. Right, right. So, yeah. and, you know, swelling, I was talking with my patients this way too, even when we do surgery on the face that uh, I warn them if they lay flat, then they're going to swell up more because the swelling all goes by gravity. And, of course, your feet are at a tremendous disadvantage because they're as low as you get on your body. Exactly, exactly. So there are some things that we can do to help out. We, you know, use compressive dressings around the toe uh, to prevent swelling. And I usually tell patients during the post-op course, if they're at work and they can prop their feet up, um, you know, it definitely helps. Absolutely. All right. Well, so that's toe shortening, Dr. Zietzer. Let's talk about lengthening a toe. Uh, what's that like what, surgically? What do you do? What, how are you helping your patients? Well, I guess it depends on where uh, the problem lies. Uh, most of the time when people have excessively short toes, it's not actually the toe that's the problem. It's the metatarsal, which is the bone, the long bones that are in, in front of the toes, inside the foot. So some people have congenitally short metatarsals, and it's usually one of them. It's usually the fourth metatarsal that's the problem. Um, if that's the case, then the surgery has to be addressed at that point because just lengthening the toe is not going to uh, change anything. So if, if the metatarsal itself has to be lengthened, there's a couple ways of doing it. There's uh, The bone actually has to be cut right down the center, and then you can either... Uh, do something called callus distraction where basically you put a little external uh, fixator frame with some pins going through the bone and then you just uh, turn the little screw on the uh, frame over time. The patient's parents usually do it or the patient does it. A uh, quarter turn every six hours. It grows about a millimeter of bone per day. Mm -hmm. And then we kind of predetermine the length we want that uh, the metatarsal should get to. However many days that's going to take, they continue turning it until that point. Once the length is good, they stop, and we let it solidify, and uh, um, usually deformity is corrected. I mean, during that time, the toe is actually uh, has a pin through it that's holding it straight, to make, and the skin is released. Uh, there's a uh, lengthening done of the skin as well because that's contracted, and that's usually the way to correct the toe deformity if it's at the metatarsal. Sometimes we use a bone graft instead of the external fixator. But if it's actually a deformity that's happening in the toe itself and, and there's no problems with the metatarsals, then we usually um, open the toe, and without taking out any extra bone, we'll place a implant inside the toe, either of a silicone material, uh, metal, or sometimes something called celastic, which is a combination of silicone and plastic. And then we uh, cut the tendons so that uh, they're not, they don't contract the toe further, and then place the implant, and the toe becomes a little bit longer. Oh, well, that seems pretty uh, pretty slick. Uh, you know, we'd use very similar principles in plastic surgery. Of course, the, the overall principle is, in the fancy medical term is distraction osteogenesis, which basically means you're stretching the bone to make it grow. So yeah, it's it's a pretty neat process, and we've used it, and it certainly, certainly works. And uh, it sounds like you guys are using very similar principles in making toes longer. Now, one thing that we didn't talk about, although it was mentioned are bunions. You know, bunions, they're, they're kind of the punchline in every foot joke that you hear. Um, and, and you hear the, the term bunion all over the place. What is a bunion? What exactly is it, Dr. Dr. Morris? Well, most people think of a bunion as being a bump on the, their big toe joint. In fact, a lot of people will come to the office and say, I have a, you know, I have a bone spur on the side of my foot. And it's, it's not that at all. Basically, the first metatarsal uh, in some patients will shift. Uh, and when it shifts over, the head of the metatarsal bone pokes out of the side of the foot, basically. And so when we repair these, we have to structurally realign that metatarsal so that we can put the toe back in a straight position. So when the, when the metatarsal is, has an angular deformity, the big toe kind of slides off the side of the joint. And that's what makes the toe, you know, the big toe slide over. 
but primarily their concern is the bump on the side of the foot. And uh, so once we realign the metatarsal so that it's in line with the rest of the metatarsals, um, you know, the, the bump goes away and their foot's in a more rectus position. Uh, but that's, that's what a bunion is. It's not a bump on a bone. It's a malposition uh, of the metatarsal, the first metatarsal bone. Uh, so, so, Dr. Zieser, in your practice, uh, how often are you seeing, because it seems like this is the most common term that you'll hear, whether it's actually the most common problem or not, it's another story. How often are you seeing these? Every single day. I mean, it's literally the most common thing that people come to me for. Okay. Uh, All right. So I guess it, it, it's as common as it seems like it is, huh? Yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, the, the thing about bunions is that I, I kind of look at this from a preventative standpoint as well, because obviously... Um, if there's a deformity, uh, there's skin issues, uh, rubbing in the shoes, um, sometimes there's pain, sometimes there isn't pain. But the biggest issue is the fact that the first metatarsophalangeal joint, which is your big toe joint, probably one of the most important uh, joints in your foot for ambulation, is becoming arthritic. So what happens is as the big toe um, shifts off to the side, it's wearing away one half of the first metatarsal's head, creating arthritis there. The other side of the first metatarsal's head is basically having no function whatsoever, and so that can become osteoporotic. So you're damaging the bone, and in the long run, if it's not something that's corrected fairly early, you're going to have a procedure that's going to be much more complex than a, you know, a bunionectomy alone. So now, when we talk about bunionectomy, Dr. Morris was talking about this a little bit, uh, it seems like it's not just shaving off the, the big hunk of stuff that's under there, whether it's a, a giant callus or inside shaving off some bone. It seems like there's really more reorienting the shape of the bone, too. Yeah, that's uh, for sure. I mean, what happens is uh, people think that it, you're just cutting off the bump, and it's, it's very simple. The problem is that if you do that, you're going to get a recurrence of a bunion within, you know, probably a year or less. So you're not addressing the structural deformity of the foot. The structural deformity is the fact that the first metatarsal is actually splaying outward. It's not in a parallel position to all the other bones. So as it continues to splay outward, it creates a larger bunion, and that causes the big toe joint to buckle, and the toe goes towards the second toe. So in order to correct a bunion deformity, it's not as simple as just cutting off the bump. You actually have to... Uh, realign the joint by cutting through the first metatarsal, moving the head over, usually putting a screw, and sometimes that alone isn't enough. And so we've started uh, using more advanced techniques like uh, uh, things called mini tight ropes and, and various uh, modifications of the mini tight rope technique, which actually, in addition to moving the head of the bone over, it actually holds the entire bone over to prevent a recurrence. Hmm. So it really is a lot more involved than just whacking off a big bump. Yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated procedure in reality, and it has to be done right in order to avoid uh, complications and recurrences. I mean, one of the, the things that bothers me most often when I'm at a hospital or surgery center, I'm doing surgery, and they're saying, what are you doing? And they say, and, you know, I tell them, um, you know, I'm doing a bunion. They're like, oh, it's just a bunion? Oh, okay, that'll be quick. And I say, no, it's not just a bunion, believe me. Yeah, you know, I always tell my patients in a similar vein, I always tell my patients, you know, there's no such thing as a minor procedure when it's done on you. Correct. That's right. <laughs> uh, well, let's let's talk a little bit about some of the lighter treatments. These have been pretty ser serious surgical treatments that do get great improvement for people. Let's talk about some of the lighter stuff. Mentioned nail fungus. That's a, a pretty big problem, making things just look look nasty. And obviously, it's an infection. But it, it you know it really people wouldn't care about the infection if it didn't make such a, a deformity in the way the nail looks. And so there's lots of these lasers out there now. What are your thoughts on uh, nail fungus treatments with lasers, uh, Dr. Morris? Yeah, I think they're great. I've uh, I've been using the Indiag laser um, for nail fungus for a couple of years now. We've probably treated 700 patients or so. And uh, we get great results. And I, I treat the patient three times and usually a couple months in between each treatment. And I have them follow a certain protocol at home uh, with the use of uh, prescription topicals um, and a filing technique. Um, and, you know, when, when the process is pretty intensive. And I think if patients follow the protocol, they get great results. Some patients sort of, uh, you know, become non-compliant after a couple of months and the results aren't as great. But I think it works better than the oral medications. It's certainly a lot safer um, and we'll, we'll continue to use it. Uh, I've been uh, very, very happy with the laser. 
And Dr. Zietzer, it sounds like it's a fairly involved process, and, uh, and I know it takes a lot of patient compliance, but you know, in Southern California, you probably have the kind of advertising we hear in South Florida, which makes it seem like, you know, you go in there, you get zapped with the laser, and you come out, and you know, every, everyone and their brother is trying to sell these types of treatments. Uh, do you, do you have that as a perception? Are you offering these services? It just seems like people want to come in, get zapped, and go on with their day. They don't want to be involved with the process. And so how is it for your patients, and how are the results? Yeah, I mean, people definitely want an easy fix. Um, I do use um, laser in my practice for fungal toenails. The, the one I use is actually made by a company called Cool Touch. So it, the, the interesting thing about this laser is that it will shoot out a a pulse of uh, what's called cryogen, which is kind of like liquid nitrogen, at the same time that it's sending out the laser beam, because obviously this becomes hot. And in order to actually kill uh, fungus, you have to reach a certain uh, temperature, which a lot of people can't tolerate. So the, the one benefit to the machine that I'm uh, using is that it does cool at the same time. Um, in general, you know, I always uh, make sure that people's expectations are realistic. You know, this is an infection. It's in our environment everywhere. It's all over our skin. It's in our shoes. I mean, that's where it loves to live. So I tell people that, you know, if you, this is kind of like a life commitment. If you're not willing to do the, the entire treatment regimen, and that includes even sterilizing your shoes, then don't bother with it. Um, you know, the thing is that some people have extremely thick, um, you know, discolored nails, and they think that a laser is going to change that. In a lot of cases, it's not going to. Laser works best for people that have, you know, minimally thickened nails, maybe, um, you know, slightly thicker than normal and discolored. Uh, those are the nails that lasers work great on. The ones that are extremely thick, you know, I will still use laser on them after the nails are, are shaved down, but I recommend those people, if it's, you know, 10 out of 10 nails and they're extremely dystrophic, I recommend that they also go on the oral medication. Because I tell people, you know, you're spending money on a laser, you're spending money on all the uh, peripheral accessories, you don't want to have a failure. You know, if you're already going to go through this process, you should take the medication as well. And I don't. So, so I mean, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's definitely not a uh, you know one or two shot treatment. It takes it takes patient involvement. And you got to be committed. It is really a process, not yeah, just. Yeah, and it treatment. takes about nine months to see you know a major improvement. Wow, really takes much longer than you think. And so watch out if you're out there and you have this problem. Don't get lured in by these bulletin board ads that say you know. That show a, a nasty-looking nail and then a, a perfectly healthy nail right next to it. Say, you know, easy with laser treatments. It, it's a long process. It's not so easy, but the results can be great if you're committed. We're going to take one more break. It's our last break of the show. When we come back, we'll talk about sweaty feet. Are we treating those? And we'll get on to some of the other things uh, about podiatry that uh, are very important. How to choose your podiatrist and and why we don't see more aesthetic procedures and, and ads for aesthetic foot procedures in our uh, local communities. We'll talk about that when we come back from this break on New Reflections. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Cosmetic surgery is a big deal. Make sure you do your homework. Why? This is not my car I'm working on. I may settle for an okay job on that, but I won't settle for anything less when it comes to my body. Do your homework. My doctor trained with world-renowned plastic surgeons. My doctor is a fully board-certified plastic surgeon. My doctor is an MD and on staff at several Florida hospitals. My doctor is an associate professor of surgery at a major university. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. People pick a doctor based on trust. You can trust Dr. Rubenstein. He has the experience, knowledge, and artistic touch you're looking for. Call 305-792-7575. That's 305-792-7575. Call today for a free consultation. Dr. Adam Rubenstein, Turnberry Plastic Surgery at Biscayne Boulevard in the William Lehman Causeway, where medicine meets artistry. My doctor is Adam Rubenstein. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are
are listening to New Reflections with Dr. Adam Rubenstein. If you have a question or comment for the host or this week's guests, please call 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You can also send an email to info at dr-rubenstein.com. That's info at dr-rubenstein.com. Now, back to New Reflections. Welcome back to the show. We're having a great conversation about podiatry and aesthetic procedures of the foot. We talked about some of the surgical things. We're just talking about some of the lighter non-surgical procedures. And uh, we're discussing ways to treat without the knife. And one of the things we did not get to are sweating. You know, we have a condition called hyperhidrosis. It affects people in their palms, in their underarm areas, and people that just sweat a lot. And uh, it also affects the feet. And there are folks that do injections for that. In fact, you wouldn't think that Botox would be used for this anything other than the face. But in fact, people are getting Botox injected into their hands and their feet. And uh, Dr. Zietzer, how often are you seeing this? Are you doing this in your office? Um, I'm seeing the problem a lot. I do do it. I don't do it as often as a lot of the other things that I do simply because you know it's relatively pricey and... It doesn't last forever, you know, and people, unfortunately, they always want something that is going to last them in the long term, and and as you know, um, Botox has a limited lifespan, and so, you know, the people that I do it on, they will do it maybe once a year, and then have maybe half of the year with the sweating, and then they'll come again randomly, so it's not not as a consistent uh, service that I offer as a lot of the other things that we've talked about. And Dr. Morris, how often are you seeing it? You know, it's um, most people don't know that there's a treatment uh, like Botox for hyperhidrosis. So, uh, you know, a lot of people, um, you know, just live with it and they change your socks three times a day or whatever. But there are, uh, there, there is a certain segment of the population that's pretty savvy with medicine and they're familiar with these treatments and, and they do present with uh, hyperhidrosis. And, you know, Botox is certainly a, a plausible alternative um, you know, it works well. It's it's a one-time treatment. You know, the in, the injection and it can be a little bit uncomfortable, uh, but you know, it can last up to a year or so. And and most of the patients who have severe hyperhidrosis are willing uh, to go through the treatment process. Oh, so at least you know it's out there and it's available. And we're talking about injectable treatments. There's another injectable treatment you guys are doing. You know, we use things like Juvederm and Restylane and Perling. We've had them on the show. And, uh, of course, we use it in the face to fill folds and wrinkles, and it works really well. But uh, now you guys are using things like that as well as Sculptra, who we've also had on the show, uh, to do something different. Dr. Zietzer, how are you using these fillers in the foot? Um, mainly these fillers are used for uh, ball-of-the-foot pain, for uh, fat pad atrophy um, directly um, beneath the usually second, third, maybe fourth metatarsals. Um, a lot of times it's used for women when they wear high heels because, as you know, the, the angle of their metatarsals is significantly increased when they're in high heels, so they get a lot of pressure at the ball of the foot. And so this is basically kind of like injecting a temporary pillow into the foot and hopefully giving them some pain relief for you know, a period of time. It doesn't last forever. That's one of its uh, you know, downfalls. Well, yeah, I mean, it doesn't last forever in the face either. What material are you using, Dr. Zietzer? You know, I've gone through a kind of an evolution of a variety of materials. I've injected uh, Restylane in the past. I've injected uh, collagen. I've injected Sculptra, various uh, silicone-type injections. Um, some of the things I'm doing now is I'm kind of in- experimenting more with fat transplantation from uh, liposuction fat. Um, mm-hmm. But I think in the long run, um, there needs to be something a little bit more permanent, and that's something I'm working on, so I have to stay tuned for that. Oh, interesting. So we'll we'll watch out for that. Dr. Morris, I know that you did a fellowship with someone who was one of the pioneers in this particular treatment, and uh, you're using Sculptra, if I understand correctly. Is that right? Yes. I, I trained with um, Dr. Suzanne Levine in uh, New York City, and she developed a procedure called Stiletto RX, uh, where she uses uh, Sculptra as the volumizer. Uh, and she has... Uh, uh, She's done more of these than anyone in the country. She does a few of these every single day in her practice. And um, I use Sculpture because she uses Sculpture, and she's found Sculpture to be the best volumizer of the fillers uh, that she's tried. So uh, we get good results with it, um, just like Dr. Zietzer said. I mean, the results don't last forever. 
and depending on their problem, it can, uh, you know, it can present pretty quickly, um, you know, with pain again. So I, I use it also in the heel with patients that have uh, heel spurs. You know, sometimes they'll have a very palpable spur at the bottom of the heel. You can feel it with your thumb very, very easily. And it's, it's easy to get one injection that will help to volumize that area and offload it so that, you know, it decreases the heel up for a period of time. And, has and how, how quickly, once you do these injections, how quickly are they getting their uh, relief? You know, pretty much instantaneously, within a few days, and it will continue to enhance uh, over, you know, three to six weeks after that. Um, and and then know, last up to about a year, huh? Yeah, yeah, several months to a year, if not more, depending on how severe their problem is. But, um, yeah, I find that it works great. It also works great for patients that have calluses on the bottom of their foot um, because the only way to really get rid of a callus is to do surgery to lift the metatarsal bone up that's creating the callus. So these help to, uh, the fillers help to offload those calluses by volumizing the area around the callus. So we're starting to use that more and more for the application. Isn't that interesting? It's aesthetics now lending itself into function. Now, speaking of aesthetics and function, this has been a very controversial subject in podiatry. Uh, in fact, uh, in, in preparing for the show, I was uh, doing some research, and uh, there was an article that you may or may not be familiar with. It was published in the uh, Wall Street Journal. It was an article by Melinda Beck, and it was the article's called Toe the Line, Doctors Fight Cosmetic Foot Surgery, and it was about the establishment of, of podiatry having a negative view towards aesthetic procedures of the foot. In fact, here's a quote from uh, Dr. Donald Bohey, who is an orthopedic surgeon in Grand Rapids, and he also happens to be the co-chairman of public education for the American Orthopedic Foot and Ankle Society, and his quote was, shortening a toe to get into a tight-fitting shoe should not be a standard of care in any physician's office. And it goes on to uh, to say, uh, let's see, actually this is another person who was the, um, uh, this is a statement from the American Podiatric Medical Association. Our function is to relieve pain and correct deformities. We are not trained to allow women to fit into a narrower shoe. And that was a quote from Kathleen Stone, the president of that association. But it, it just seems that over the years, uh, things have gotten more and more popular, and yet the, the, the establishment of podiatry is resisting it. Well, I think that um, something was probably said about the first person who did uh, rhinoplasty and uh, breast augmentation as well. You know, the, the thing is that whether people are trained in this or not, the underlying uh, procedures are time-tested. I mean, when we're doing aesthetic bunion procedures or aesthetic toe shortenings or lengthenings or even hammer toe corrections, I mean, those have been procedures that have been done for 50 years. What we're doing is basically creating a more aesthetic look to them, um, a more um, kind of uh, pleasing uh, form to the foot. So what we're not doing is uh, voodoo. We're doing regular things that everyone else does. We just kind of put a more aesthetic twist on it. Right, and, and, I, and I think you're right. I think we've seen this in plastic surgery. So, you know, this, this controversy, I think, is something that's just going to uh, – fade away much like it did with plastic surgery. I think you guys are on the right track. You know, you're, you're doing surgery with an aesthetic eye. You're trying to give the people their the best looking results. And, and why shouldn't you do that if you're improving not only the function but also the form? And there's nothing wrong with that as we've seen. Uh, in any event, we're running out of time. I wanted to mention board certification in podiatry. There is the American Board of Podiatric Surgery, both Dr. Zietzer and Dr. Uh, Morris, our board-certified podiatrist. Very quickly, gentlemen, if you can tell me, how can someone reach you, Dr. Morris? If someone wants to look you up in Atlanta and come see you in your office, how do they do that? Um, they can Google my name, Dr. Jason Morris in Atlanta, or Primera, P-R-I-M-E-R-A, podiatry.com. That's the easiest way to reach us. All right, great. And Dr. Zietzer in Southern California, if someone wants to come see you for that new procedure for the sole of the foot, how are they going to find you? Uh, www.drzietzer.com. Well, that's nice and easy. All right, gentlemen, it's been a great show, and I'm sorry we always comes up to the end and we try and get everything in. I think we had a great discussion today. People learned a lot. If you're in the Atlanta area, look up Dr. Morris. In Southern California, you'll do well to look up Dr. Zietzer. I'd like to thank you both for being on the show. This has been New Reflections, talking about podiatry and aesthetic procedures of the foot. Coming up in future shows, there's some new Botox in the market. We're going to be talking about that. We've got new breast implants that have been introduced. And we have lots, lots more, especially updates and light and laser treatments and skin care coming from the American Society of Aesthetic Plastic Surgery. We'll be back with new shows in the coming weeks. Stay with us. 
Tune in every week, Saturday, 12 to 1 Eastern Time, 9 to 10 Pacific, here at the VoiceAmerica.com network on New Reflections. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. We hope you stayed informed and entertained today on New Reflections. Please join your host, Dr. Adam Rubenstein, again next Saturday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You can also email the doctor at info at dr-rubenstein.com or visit his website at www.dr-rubenstein.com. And don't forget to join us next Saturday for new reflections on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a beautiful weekend.